From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Sundays at 12 midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. 101.9 High FM, a very good afternoon to you on this lovely uh, Sunday. Definitely an autumnal nip to the air. If you drive around Old Johannesburg particularly, the trees are turning brown, the leaves are turning yellow. It's a bit of a nostalgic time, I think, autumn, but it's also nice to be quite cool after a very, very hot summer in Johannesburg, uh, certainly. So, Kate Turkington here. You can get hold of me at kate at high.co.za. Remember that high is spelled C-H-A-I, kate at high.co.za. You can get onto the main station website, highfm.com, and that's where you'll find the podcast too. So if you have missed a Travels with Kate and there's something you want to catch up on, go to the website, go to the program Go to Sunday, find my slot, click on that, and the podcast will come up there. And photographs of some of the places I talk about, you can go to my own website, which is kate at kateturkington.com, kate at kateturkington.com. But just before I tell you what's coming up in the program, I want to alert you. I wonder if you know it's Brain Awareness Month. Brain Awareness Month. And there's lots of things happening at our Origin Centre here in Johannesburg. There really is something for every everyone. So you can find out about the brain from anatomy to behaviour to evolution. There are things for the kids to do. Don't think this is going to be over your head. Incredibly user-friendly uh, exhibitions, and it's going on until the end of the month. If you don't know the origin centre, you, sh- you should visit anyway, because it's another great visitor destination. Just Google origins dot uh, uh, com. I don't know if it's origins dot org, but if you Google origin centre Johannesburg, all the details will come up there. So brain awareness. Uh, month people so we've all got to be very aware of our brains and look after them you know they have a lovely expression in Ireland I lived in Ireland for some years and they really do have some of the best um, expressions but if somebody and I know what a difficult sensitive subject it is but if somebody has got dementia or started Alzheimer's or is losing their memory, the the Irish have a wonderful way of talking about it. They say, oh, he's away with the fairies, or, oh, she's away with the fairies, or the fairies are fluttering a bit, you know. And I think it's just such a lovely, lovely, I'm not um, underrating the seriousness or the the tragedy of this happening, but I do think it's a, a lovely, instead of somebody saying, oh, she's lost her memory or she's got dementia, I think to say, oh, she's away with the fairies, you know. I think that's a, personally, I think that's a lovely expression. We're going to be talking about Malawi. I know Cyclone Freddie has wreaked absolute devastation on Malawi, uh, this week and over the past few days. But I did a trip to Malawi a few years ago, and when the flood damage is done, and when things do get back to normal, as I'm sure they will, I really urge you 
to visit Malawi because it is such a special, special country with special, special people. And given the price of airfares now, I mean, whatever you want to go, if you want to go internationally at the moment, you've got to think 20,000 rand for airfares before you start, really, even going the cheapest uh, airlines. So we're going to be talking about Malawi, and I'm just going to be telling you some of the adventures I had there. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Sundays at 12 midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. Hi FM 101.9 Travels with Kate and as I said to you earlier I'm going to take you to Malawi. <laughs> One of the reasons I remember Malawi so well because it's the place where I ate my first and I think my last roasted dormouse. Yes, roasted dormouse. Mine was at a roadside stall in Malawi and I washed the mouse down with a local beer called Kuchi Kuchi, which means until dawn. And I nibbled a scrunchy bit quite quickly and then washed it down with the Kuchi Kuchi. Uh, I wouldn't say it was palatable, but it was so beautifully presented. It was with the rest of its late family. It was presented kebab style on a peeled stick, and it was offered to me by a very smiling, expectant Malawian. I mean, how could I refuse? That's how I've ended up eating scorpions, roasted scorpions in Thailand and drinking camel's milk in Ethiopia. It seems so churlish to refuse something when it's offered to you so graciously and kindly. Anyway, on that occasion, I was on my way to Mvu, Lodge, that's M-V-U-U, Mvu Lodge, very small tented camp, and it's on the banks of a lagoon just off the Shira River on the western boundary of Lelondwe, that famous national park in uh, Malawi. By the way, Shira River, it's actually spelt Shire, like in Derby, Shire, or S-H-I-R-E, but it's actually pronounced uh, Shira. It's a huge river. I had no idea how big it was, and it's it's certainly on a par with its better-known neighbour, the Zambezi, and the Shira actually joins the Zambezi uh, before going into the Indian Ocean in Mozambique. So, here I am in this little tented uh, camp on the banks of the Shira River, and I had the most amazing experience. I was sitting on my little wooden deck, and it was dark. I think there was an oil lamp, and I heard this splashing, I heard this commotion in the river, and I thought, oh, let's suppose, you know, but it went on and on, and eventually I peered over the railing, and let me describe to you what I saw. It was like a silver arc of fish leaping. Imagine a rainbow of silver fish. There was this arc of silver fish leaping, and behind them, right behind them, with its jaws wide open, was a crocodile, which was gulping them down as fast as it possibly could. Just the most amazing thing to see. Shoal of silverfish arcing there in the little bit of moonlight, and this crocodile chasing them and gobbling them as he 
went, and that went until about dawn. The fish, I mean, the fish never seemed to stop. They certainly didn't learn very much from the experiences of their ones that had gone before. And then you wake up to one of the best early morning bird choirs, the dawn's, uh, dawn chorus, any, anywhere. Um, and if you are a birder, there are specials. Think uh, Spurwing Lapwing, think Bohm's Beater, think Palm Nut Bulger, think Angola Pitta. You actually practically fall over them when you are in that lovely, lovely little camp. Mfu Lodge, right on the banks of the Shira River. Now, Lake Malawi, you may know, it's the third biggest lake in Africa, and it's got more species. Think about this. It's got more species than any other lake in the entire world. You know, it's a bit like uh, we're going to be talking to Helen Lockhart in, in a while from Two Oceans Aquarium, and I'm sure she'll tell us how lucky we are with our marine life in South Africa. But just think, in Lake Malawi, Malawi, third biggest lake and has more fish than anywhere else in the world. But on an island in the middle of um, Lake Malawi, there's a huge Anglican cathedral. It's the most bizarre thing to see. Here you are in the middle of the African bush, and here's a huge, huge cathedral dedicated to St. Peter, whose statue, there's a statue of him facing the lake with a very um, distinct-looking African cockerel uh, at his feet. And the island is called Silicoma, which means sweet land in, in the local dialect. But the site where the cathedral is built is known as Cipiela, the place of burning. And it's called that because it was here that the first missionaries witnessed witches being burnt at the stake. The foundation stone of this cathedral was actually laid in 1903, well over a 100 years ago. It's the largest and most beautiful cathedral in Central Africa. Maybe you've never heard of it. I certainly hadn't before I went there. David Livingstone, when he was on his journeys to Africa, used to uh, visit there. And the stories are much, much the same. Missionaries came to form a mission in the area. It was called Nysterland in those days. And, and they had all sorts of problems uh, the bishops keeled over with malaria, other tropical diseases, one drowned. They had trouble with warring tribes. But the faith and the cathedral exist to this day. And every Sunday, today, over a thousand people will be worshipping and there are three choirs in that cathedral. Can you imagine it? This huge Anglican Cathedral in the, on the middle of an island in the middle of a lake in Lake Malawi. But the missionaries had a very good idea too. They hit upon the idea of a steamer for transporting goods and people around this huge lake. I think they also wanted to chase up their converts. But if you can handle it, if you're a seasoned African traveller, you've got to try a journey on the Alala Ferry. I did about an hour, which was enough. It's an old rust bucket of a ferry. It's like a kind of bus service round the lake. And the timetable, by the way, is pure fiction. Don't even look at the picture. Don't even look at the timetable. Turn up at a place called Monkey Bay on a Friday, and the ferry will turn up. I mean, semi-organized chaos. People, goods, livestock loaded. Uh, offloaded, and if you sit on the top deck, you can see the witnesses all dancing to West African pop music. I mean, it is the most amazing thing to do. Don't think I could spend uh, a day on the ferry, but if you're young and fit and you're an adventurer, I can highly recommend uh, 
that ferry. And there's a beautiful lodge on that island called Kayamawa. Uh, when I was there, one of the visitors said it's something like you'd find in a James Bond movie. It's a cross between a, a medieval keep and a castle and but it's quintessentially Africa too because on the beach the local ladies are washing uh, are washing their pots and fruit bats are in this huge giant baobab tree they're twittering and they're pushing and they're nudging they come in as uh, the sunset sets over Lake Malawi so lots of other places to go in Malawi but think about Malawi when when the country recovers, as I'm sure it will, from this devastating cyclone, Freddie, really put it on your bucket list because it's it's just a, a super place to go to. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Sundays at 12 midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. 101.9 High FM. And now, and I'm sure many of you have been, we're going to be talking about one of South Africa's best-loved visitor attractions. And, of course, it's the fabulous award-winning Two Oceans Aquarium in Cape Town where you can see literally thousands of creatures from both, well, that's why it's called Two Oceans, the Atlantic and Indian Ocean Marine Life. I mean, uh, the list is so long. You've got everything from giant sea turtles to those very funny clownfish to predators like sharks. You've got charismatic penguins. None of us can resist a, a penguin. And, of course, some of those crabs are as big as toddlers. Uh, in fact, lots, lots more. If you're qualified, you can even go diving with sharks. And, in fact, even if you're not qualified, you can get your beginner's diving certificate there, the paddy certificate there at the aquarium. So it's been opened, I can't believe it, for 25 years. It's committed to educating visitors about the marine environments on our own doorstep and, most importantly, how to protect them. Well, joining me now is Helen Lockhart, and she's the Conservation and Sustainability Manager of the Two Oceans Aquarium. Welcome, Helen. Thank you so much, Kate. It's wonderful to talk to you again after so many years. <laughs> okay. And, and first off, why do we need aquariums or aquaria? What is the plural? Aquariums. Why do we need aquariums, Helen? So we, in, in, in my opinion, we need aquariums because we need to connect people uh, to a world that most people um, will never experience firsthand. They may have seen it on TV, they might see it on the internet, but they'll never have the chance to go beneath the waves and just see the incredible diversity, the fascinating marine life that exists in the ocean. So that's, that is really the first thing is, is to connect people to the ocean in, in that way. And then also I say that in, in an ideal world, we wouldn't need zoos or aquariums because we as humans would know that we are part of nature, that we live, um, that we would be living in, in harmony with nature, that we wouldn't be over exploiting it and taking more than we need. But unfortunately, that's not the case as we well know. So it's very much about, it's very about very much about showcasing to people um, the wonders of marine life 
and at the same time educating them about uh, ecosystems, about the animals that exist, about the threats that we as humans pose um, um, to the marine environment. So that's why I think we need aquariums. And I think we need aquariums too as restorative places, as soul places, mm. um, you know, for people to come and relax and just to be in a completely different world. It really is otherworldly. And, um, yeah, to rejuvenate their souls a little bit. I'm, I'm going to talk about some of the amazing uh, shows you've got, showcases you've got, their exhibits, uh, whatever. Uh, but I want to talk about your title, Conservation and Sustainability Manager. Oh, my word, that sounds like huge responsibilities. What does it actually mean? Tell us, talk us through that. Um, it is a little bit of a mouthful you know, when you, people ask me what do I do, conservation and sustainability manager at the Two Oceans Aquarium in Cape Town. Um, so it is indeed a bit of a tongue twister. But basically my role, Kate, is um, largely around, firstly around you know, conservation and awareness, so raising public awareness and staff awareness around, as I say, the marine environment and then issues such as, uh, you know, plastic pollution in the oceans, um, uh, sustainable seafood, climate change. So it's it's about looking for platforms within the Two Oceans Aquarium where we can raise um, awareness about these things. And then also I am responsible for um, overseeing the ecological footprint of the Two Oceans Aquarium. So obviously as a facility we have a footprint, we consume energy, we consume water, um, we generate waste, and uh, my role is to look at uh, measuring and monitoring those aspects of our operations and making sure that we're doing as much as we possibly can to reduce um, the impact of the aquarium's operations on the environment. So looking for ways that we can reduce our energy consumption, not only to, to benefit our um, bottom line, obviously, um, but also to see if there are creative ways of um, bringing in renewable energy in any way. And then on the water side, uh, again, looking at, you know, water consumption. In 2017-2018, um, listeners may recall the uh, devastating um, uh, drought that we had here yeah. in Cape Town and we really looked very consciously and, and creatively at, at reducing water. And then on the waste side also, looking at how we could reduce the waste that we put out. So um, we're reducing our packaging, reducing um, the, the stuff that we buy and then ends up in the waste, looking at what we can do with our organic waste. Um, so that's really uh, what I'm involved with. And, and then various campaigns, you know, such as, um, um, you know, creating awareness with our, our visitors around the work that we do with turtles, the work that we do with seals and our marine wildlife management program. So it's quite fast. Luckily, it's not me alone. I have the whole um, aquarium support um, and we all work together on this. So it's a, it's, it's a very, it sounds onerous, but it's not. It's a very exciting and very rewarding. And, and tell me, you mentioned turtles there. And I know you had, I've read or I've heard about, you have an amazing story about Bob the turtle. Can you tell us that? So Bob is um, the most incredibly special green turtle. Um, very, very close to my heart. So I have to say that probably I have many favorite marine creatures, but turtles are probably, they probably are my favorite um, marine animal. And um, Bob, as I say, is a green turtle. He was uh, washed up and found in a terrible state, emaciated, dehydrated, injured uh, on De Hoop Beach um, here in the Western Cape. And he was brought to the Two Oceans Aquarium uh, for rehabilitation and care. So when he arrived, as I say, he had these terrible injuries on the underside of his shell, so what we call the plastron of his shell. And so those had to be treated. And he was also very buoyant, and this is why he got the name of Bob. And when it is buoyant, it, it is in, indicative of a very serious issue um, going on inside. So we did all sorts of tests and all sorts of things um, to try and find out why he was so buoyant. Um, he was 
you know, he went through a phase where he was eating for a bit, then he stopped eating completely. And Bob was literally at almost at death's door. And in fact, the vet that was here at the time um, had to make the, the decision that actually this turtle wasn't going to recover and we needed to, you know, euthanize him. And then when she went to check on him that day and um, uh, to see how he was doing, um, she saw an indication um, that he could see because that was the other thing. He was blind um, or partially blind. And um, she noticed that he was following her hand. So she reversed her decision. And um, and then also Bob happened to poop out. So um, uh, yeah, pooped out a whole bunch of plastic, plastic bits plastic bags, and then balloons, bits of balloons, some even with the strings still attached. And all of this had caused, you know, a massive infection in in Bob, which had really compromised his health significantly. But fortunately, once once he'd got out all this plastic and balloon out of his system, he then started to turn a corner. But he needed a lot of uh, work. He was with us for eight years, and he needed... Lots of rehabilitation, a lot of TLC. And then a couple of years ago, uh, we started on a, an enrichment program with him, an environmental enrichment program. We had a young, we have a young woman who worked very closely with Bob. And this environmental enrichment was basically reteaching him to be wild, reteaching him the, the behaviors that he needed in order to survive in the wild. And at this, this involves things like teaching him to forage again for himself, teaching him to be territorial and to be, um, you know, slightly aggressive again uh, towards other um, turtles. So this process also really set him up for success in the wild. And then literally um, at the beginning of February, Bob returned to his wild home. And it was really such a bittersweet moment. Kate, I, I cried. I wasn't but when I saw the film of him going back into the wild, it was the most heartwarming, incredible story of this turtle had, who had really overcome the odds. And, and you must it, have been worried, too. Deeply concerned. Deeply concerned. You know, I mean, we're obviously aware that we're putting him back into an ocean that is not pristine. It's full of challenges, you know, plastic pollution being, you know, high up on the list. Because turtles generally eat, especially green turtles, eat um, a lot of sea lettuce, they often mistake plastic shopping bags floating around in the ocean um, as food. And so, you know, we put him back knowing that he was going to face all these dangers. And we we just, you know, obviously have to hope that he will will do his best to, to stay safe and to... But it was his time, you know, our, our, the, the aim of the Tuition's Aquarium Foundation, who has the Turtle Conservation Center, the aim of, of this is to return rehabilitated turtles. And how is he doing? Are you able to keep track of him? We are, Kate, um, and that's also equally fantastic. Um, uh, we had various tags put on Bob before he left the Tuition's Aquarium. He um, has a satellite tag, and then he also has an acoustic tag. Um, so the satellite tag basically gives us um, every time he surfaces um, for a breath, because obviously turtles have yeah. lungs. Um, so every time he surfaces for a breath, the satellite tag uh, transmits um, information. And um, so right now he is off somewhere off the Western Cape. Um, so he was released off KwaZulu-Natal, and he's made all the way back down to to our, our neck of the woods or, you know, sort of yeah, off our coast. And what I loved, Kate, was the fact that um, our turtle team, including the, the people that have worked most closely with Bob, were in Hermanus recently for a turtle road trip, basically connecting with our partners um, who form the Turtle Rescue Network. So they were in Hermanus, and Bob was off Hermanus at exactly the same time at <laughs> That's so, so. That's so, so special. So you have lots of research. I know the Tuosham's Aquarium has a lot of research projects. What other kind of projects? I'm so happy for Bob. (laughs) Please keep us posted. What other research projects do you have? 
So, Kate, we are involved in a number of research and uh, projects, and actually in the last, I would really say in the last two years or so, we've really um, upped our research um, um, our research game and, and the amount of research that we're involved with. So we do, we do a fair amount of research in-house ourselves, and that obviously involves, you know, the turtles. It involves um, some shark um, research that we are busy with. So we're busy tagging um, various shark um, and ray species um, with acoustic tags, again, just to um, do uh, uh, monitoring of, of movements along our coast. And how but will this help in the long run? You know, you, you're this... I mean, you're a wonderful place to visit. You've got all everything from the jelly gallery with the jellyfish to the that um, INJ Ocean exhibit, which is that I think it's a ten metre tunnel filled with oh, I don't know how many millions of seawater. But the research you do, obviously, it's the tip of the iceberg in a way. How's that going to help the world, as it were? So, Kate, I think, you know, research is a way for us to better understand the marine world, um, to know better how it operates, to know, to understand the links and the connection between things, whether it's, you know, food sources or prey or, um, and then once we get this information, uh, it enables the conservationists and the scientists to look for ways to better protect um, um, marine, the marine environment. So, for instance, you know, the work, a lot of the work that's been done on, on fish species has enabled us to then identify, um, areas for marine protected areas because we know that, you know, this is a spawning ground for certain fish species or, or this is a nursery ground for certain fish species and therefore this is a good area then for us to protect. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to, to, um, protect areas or, or protect, um, species if we didn't know enough about them. Okay. So research is in terms of conservation. And and just tell us about the kelp forest, because that's one of my favourites. I mean, people hear kelp forest, and I mean, seaweed's not the most um, charismatic of, of, of things, or is it? Or is it? So, so the kelp forest exhibit at the Two Oceans Aquarium, again, is probably my favourite exhibit here. And even after working here at the aquarium for 27 years, sure. there are days when I walk past the kelp forest and it takes my breath away. Um, it really is. It's mesmerizing. It's we've you know got these giant kelp plants um, in the, the exhibit. It's one of uh, probably only three living kelp forests on display in an aquarium in the world. Sure. Um, and it's also what makes the Two Oceans Aquarium iconic because we're the, obviously the only um, aquarium in Africa to have a kelp forest um, like this. And kelp, this the, the kelp that we have here, as you say, it's a seaweed. It's one of the fastest growing um, seaweeds in the world, um, the, the particular species that we, we house here. And it's also critically important for... Uh, the marine ecosystem off, off the Cape Coast. And um, how high? I'm trying to visualize it. You know, I, I know. It's about two stories high, that forest you've got there. It is, yes. It is two stories, um, certainly, yeah. And we, we actually collect our kelp, so we have to go out to see our collections team, go out to, to see um, a lot of the time off Robben Island, and we harvest our kelp from there and bring it back into their cram. And what's great about that, too, is that when they bring um, the kelp in, um, kelp have something called a holdfast. It's similar to a root system in a tree, but the kelp um, has a, a holdfast. And there is a whole menagerie in that holdfast. It's fascinating to see what lives in the holdfasts of, uh, of a kelp forest exhibit. And then often what we will do is, is take um, some of those creatures that we find in the holdfast and put them uh, under the microscope, we have a microscope uh, display, and um, uh, this uh, this showcases animals that you can't see with the naked eye. So it really is it is fascinating what you can see beneath the microscope. And of course, you've got species that can't be found anywhere else in the world because obviously you you concentrate to a certain extent on species that are unique to our coast, to our two oceans. 
That's correct, Kate. We so we are very, very fortunate to be positioned where we are, um, the Tuatram at the southern tip of Africa, and um, you know focusing on, as you said in your introduction, the Indian and the Atlantic Ocean. And we are fortunate in that again, South Africa is blessed with incredible marine biodiversity. We have very high levels of endemism, meaning animals and plants that are found nowhere else in the world. And we are able to play some of those animals and, and showcase them to, to our visitors. So, you know, we have things, um, you know, many fish species. Of course, we've got, you know, the African penguin, which yeah. is endemic to, endemic to Southern Africa, South Africa and Namibia, deeply in trouble as a species. Um, but we can showcase them here. So we're also lucky in terms of, because again, because of our position, we collect all our own, all our own animals. Um, we don't have to rely, as many international crimes do, on, on um, purchasing, um, you know, buying them off the Internet. So our team literally goes out either diving or snorkeling or with fishing rods and collect. So we know where the animals come from. We know how, you know, the environments from which they come from. Um, so we're really very, very fortunate in that way. What, what, and also, what, what, sorry to interrupt there. What's the, you know, you were saying you have your personal favorite. It's the turtles. Is there a visitor favorite? What to, can, can you, could you say that there's one particular area that visitors love most or do they just love everything? No, they generally, they definitely have their favorites. And if you're walking through their cram and you hear sharks, sharks, mom, come and look at them. So sharks are definitely up on the list, probably top of the list. But then penguins, seahorses, octopus are a firm favorite. Um, but yeah, sharks probably right. Yes, right octopus. At the top. Now, uh, of course, there was that wonderful, really groundbreaking, literally and metaphorically, that South African documentary that won the Oscar, My Octopus Teacher. I'm sure that movie had an impact on the public wanting to see octopuses. Definitely, uh, definitely, it, it certainly did, and I think. What is even more amazing around um, what that wonderful and beautiful film did was to showcase just how magnificent and diverse our kelp forests are and, um, you know, why they're absolutely worthy of, of protecting, um, protecting them. And, in fact, you know, the, the filmmakers, Craig Foster, um, he has likened the, the, the great African kelp forest to the Serengeti because the, the kinds of species that are found and the – just the diversity again in the kelp forest is is quite astounding, quite astounding. I love that the Serengeti of the uh, seas there. Coming back to octopuses or octopi, not quite sure what the plural is. I remember during the World Cup, the 2010 World Cup, you had an octopus called Jabalani who was foretelling the results of the. World Cup. I don't know how. What's it? It was a he, a Jabalani. Are you going to bring Jabalani back for the Rugby World Cup? Well, it was such fun, um, Kate, during the World Cup. You know, the Tuatians Aquarium. Um, you know, we've always got an octopus here, and part of the part of what we do with our octopus is is environmental enrichment. So, so you know, we could play with environmental enrichment and the World Cup by giving the octopus two jars. Um, and he had to choose um, between the jars to see who was actually going to win the World Cup. I can't remember if he predicted it. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think it's worth giving our current octopus um, a chance at, at predicting the Rugby World Cup when it comes round later this year. It'll be a, a fun thing to do. And, of course, octopuses, as we know, octopus from that uh, film, I mean, it raised global awareness. They're highly intelligent, aren't they? Highly, highly, highly intelligent. Um, they reckon, you know, sort of intelligence of a domestic cat. So for an invertebrate, that's, that's no mean feat. And then, of course, I mean, they can do remarkable things, you know, from they can, they can squeeze through a hole the size of their eye. So, which is, is remarkable. And then, of course, the, the you know, shape-shifting and the camouflage, master of camouflage, mm -hmm. um, they are incredible animals. 
and and the future of the you know sometimes you hear people saying oh why should we keep animals in captivity blah 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 what what's your take on that helen so kate again i mean i think that you know in an ideal world we wouldn't have to have animals in captivity um because again we would be living in in harmony with um with nature but I, you know, over the years, it's a question that I grapple with every now and then. Just because I work at the aquarium doesn't mean to say that, you know, I don't think about this question and what it means. And I think for me, um, we see these animals as ambassadors. Uh, they're ambassadors for their species. They're teaching us about, um, you know, their kind, how, how they live in the wild, um, how they actually live, what they look like. Before I started working at the aquarium, I grew up in Zimbabwe, so I had no clue about what what life beneath the ocean looked like. And starting to work here and just discovering all these animals, I've, I've been blown away. I, I, I still am astounded by what I learn. So I think, you know, if people can learn about the ocean, again, it's something that's so removed from us. You know, we're terrestrial animals. If we if we want to get close to the ocean, we've literally got to get into it and, and get scuba or free dive. Um, which requires certain skills. So I think aquariums have a real place in terms of educating the public, um, teaching people, um, and then doing a lot of good conservation and research work. I mean, that's that's yeah. absolutely what we're for. And if we weren't doing that work, I certainly wouldn't be here. Okay. Helen, that's been such a pleasure to talking to you. Thanks so much. And on your next trip to Cape Town, if you live in Cape Town or wherever you live, I can't recommend the two oceans Aquarium enough. You'll see local animals from, as Helen said, we have species that exist nowhere in the world. I must tell you about one I found very strange. It's called a hagfish, and it's a very, very ancient fish. It's got no jaws, no eyes, no fins, no scales. Now, wait for it. It produces five litres of slime when it gets scared, and you can only see it at the two oceans. We'll be back in just a while. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Sundays at 12 midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. 101.9, Hi FM, Kate Turkington. Time now for In Travels with Kate to talk about books. We all love books. I don't think I ever don't have a book with me. That's not very grammatical, but you know what I mean. Uh, and as I think I've said to you previously, even if I'm not carrying a book, if I'm going to the dentist or going somewhere, I know I'm going to be waiting. I've got a Kindle in my handbag, so I've always got something to read. And this week, I want to talk about a literary novel. Now, don't, you know, when you say literary novels, people think, mm -hmm, this is going to be so intellectual, it's not going to be interesting or whatever. What do I, what do I mean? Kate, what does Kate mean by literary? I think beautifully written, thoughtful works, great characters, fiction that you remember, that you'll remember long, long after that sort of very fast-paced crime thriller or the very lightweight uh, chick lit or quick airport read. I'm not denigrating those. I read those. I don't read chick lit, I must admit to you. But I read, uh, I read a lot of crime, uh, crime and airport uh, reading. But this is Ian McEwan, widely regarded as the UK's best 
living literary novelist, Ian McEwan. You may remember, even if you didn't read a previous novel, Atonement, you may have seen the movie with uh, Keira Knightley, which won, I think it won an Oscar all those years ago. So this book is called Lessons by Ian McEwan. It's his latest. It's published by Faber and Faber. It's in all good bookshops. Now, it's long... It's, um, I'm opening it, I think it's about 500, took me three nights to read it, 500 pages, and I read very quickly, but I actually couldn't put it down. I sort of finished the day and finished the work and finished the chores, and I couldn't wait to get back to read it. What is it about? It's about somebody called Roland, and charts his Progress as a 14-year, in fact, from an eight-year-old schoolboy who was sent home from Egypt or Libya, I think it was, to be educated in England, and his life cycle. But Roland, it's much more than a book about Roland because Roland is like an everyman, and how his life plays out is against a backdrop of the wider stage of world history. And I want you to think a moment how world history has impacted on all our lives. Think, for example, just think, where would you be at this very moment? Where would you be? Or where would your parents or your grandparents be today, for example, if World War II hadn't happened? If apartheid hadn't happened. No matter who we are, world history has had an impact on the lives of every single one of us. And what happens with Roland, the events, oh, since he was eight, it's almost a history of the 20th and 21st century. So, Second World War, Iron Curtain comes down and young Roland's life is turned upside down because he's in Libya with his parents and he's sent to this very unusual boarding school in England. And he has a a relationship with the piano teacher at 14 years old, 16 years old, that he will never forget and in a way will shape his life. So... The book takes us through the Suez, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the fall of the Berlin Wall, right up to the COVID epidemic and climate change. And Roland sometimes rides with the tide of history. Much more often than most of us, he struggles against it. So literature, travel, friendship, drugs, sex, rock and roll, politics... All these things come into the book, but they're not foisted on you. They're they're part of the narrative. They're part of Roland's story. And I'm pretty sure Ian McCure must have been there himself at the fall of the Berlin Wall because the way he describes it and the, the people climbing the wall and the wall coming down, I remember watching it on television. What was it? Was it 1989? Not quite, not quite sure. Didn't jot a, didn't jot a, um, a date down. But the moon landings, and basically, I think what the novel asks is, can we take charge of our lives? And obviously, the answer is no, because circumstances, fate, call it what you will, dictate in some in some ways who and what we're going to be. How do global events beyond our control, beyond our little personal lives, shape us and our memories? And in fact, what can we learn from the past? This all sounds very serious and very um, thought-provoking, which it is, but it's a great read. You, you, <laughs> Roland doesn't achieve very much, but His life, we follow his life, we're interested in him. He has a passionate love affair that ends badly. He's left on his own as a single parent to bring up a seven-month-old baby. 
uh, he has friends in the east of Berlin. All sorts of things come into this. COVID, COVID comes uh, into it. Obviously, it's very, very new, uh, the book. I want to just read you a book, um, a, a, a passage I, 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 I penciled, and I'm going to rub it out because I'm passing the book on. One of the messages, if you like, of the book is, I want you to listen to this, that there's Roland and his family sitting in a room in England, now the present, and I quote, the windows were open to the warm night air. And it often happened like this, Roland thought, the world was wobbling badly on its axis, ruled in too many places by shameless, ignorant men. Freedom of expression was in retreat. Digital public spaces resounded with the shouts of delirious masses. Truth had no consensus. New nuclear weapons multiplied, commanded by hair-trigger artificial intelligence, while vital natural systems, including jet streams, ocean currents, as well as pollinating insects, submarine cliffs of coral, all these things are wilting or becoming extinct. Parts of the world, he was thinking, were burning or drowning. And then, Ian McEwan writes, simultaneously, in the old-fashioned glow of close family, he experienced happiness that could not be dispelled, even by rehearsing every looming disaster in the world. He, he said it made no sense, but in fact, doesn't it make sense? The old-fashioned glow of close family. That's all we have time for this week. That book, Lessons by Ian McEwan, published by Faber and Faber. We'll be back next week. Thank to Uzi, my controller, Harry, my producer, for what a great team uh, here. And thanks to all of you. Lots of love, lots of light. Look after yourselves. Travel safely. Don't only look after yourselves. Look after others. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Sundays at 12 midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here.